All right. Uh, this week, we're starting our Black History series. I'm really excited about it. Our scripture reading today comes to us from Isaiah 16, uh, verses 1 through 5, and then also Ephesians 3, 1 through 6. I did not get an opportunity to get the page number, so if someone gets it, just scream it out for the Pew Bible. Otherwise, I hope you're following along on Bible Gateway or our Bible app, uh, which I, I recommend you download as well, too. Isaiah 16, verses 1 through 5, and Ephesians 3, 1 through 6. Isaiah 16 says, Send lambs to the ruler of the land from Selah, by way of the desert, to the mount of daughter Zion. Like fluttering birds, like scattering nestlings, so are the daughters of Moab at the fords of Arnon. Give counsel, grant justice, make your shade like night at the height of noon. Hide the outcasts, do not betray the fugitive. Let the outcasts of Moab settle among you. Be a refuge to them from the destroyer. Love this part. When the oppressor is no more and destruction has ceased and marauders have vanished from the land, then a throne shall be established in steadfast love in the tent of David. And on it shall sit in faithfulness a ruler who seeks justice and is swift to do what is right. Ephesians 3. This is the reason that I, Paul, am a prisoner for Christ Jesus, Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles. For surely you have already heard of the commission of God's grace that was given me for you, and how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I wrote above in a few words, a reading of which will enable you to perceive my understanding of the mystery of Christ. In former generations, this mystery was not made known to humankind, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. That is, Paul says, the Gentiles have become fellow heirs, members of the same body, and sharers in the promise of Christ through the gospel. Somebody say amen. amen. Please join with me in prayer. Wellspring of life, give us all now the eye of the eagle so that we may see clearly into all of our hopes, joys, fears, and sorrows. Collectively weave our hands to the gospel plow and tie all of our tongues to truth. Let us hear from you the still speaking, ever living God in our midst. This is our prayer. This is the way. In the name of the anointed one, amen. Okay, so we're starting Black History. And we've got three sermons, and we're going to explore different black women and their lives and how those themes can connect to our lives today and to the text. So, as always, you know, sometimes I have to give some disclaimers because some of y'all get triggered. I know some of you are already triggered because there's a picture up there of a politician that's in the Democratic Party. So let me, let me give you the disclaimers. Ready? 
St. Peter United is a nonpartisan organization and church and cannot endorse any candidate. Today, our exploration of the themes from Stacey Abrams is about finding what is, is sacred and useful for us to apply to our lives. Each of us are unique and amazing creations of God regardless of our political identity and affiliation. There's a lesson in all of our lives. That's one. Two, representation matters. I've had some conversations with people who, you know, don't understand why it was so important for there to be an African-American president, who don't understand why people still say the first black, the first gay, the first that, the first. I will tell you personally, had someone have told me in high school that James Baldwin existed, my life might be quite different today. But I didn't get to read, and I was an English AP. I know you can't tell by the way I talk, but I was an English AP. <laughs> or my writing, probably. And never was it ever mentioned. We didn't read any of his books. But imagine what it would have meant to a black gay boy struggling with trying to read and comprehend and understand to know that there was a black gay man that was a prolific writer. So for those of you that are like, let's get past race, we can't get past it because some of us still need to see people that look like us doing things that we would like to do. That is inspirational. I know everybody can't understand that, but I'm telling you as your pastor, image and representation matters. This is a church. So for the remainder of the hour, Suspend the brainwashing of the media. Jesus transcends all political parties. And God, the universe itself, is built for the thriving of all sentient life and the environment in which we inhabit. Our struggle as Christians from different political backgrounds is to figure out how to do right by each other. Okay? So, why black history? Because this is the other thing. We always hear about black men in history and all that they've done. So for the last few years, we've focused on black women. And just as a personal point of privilege, we would not be where we are today without black women. And I could go even further and say, we would not be where we are today without women, period. Because none of us would be here. I know no other way to arrive on this planet. <laughs> so we want to reverse the narrative and lift up the voices of women. So this week is Stacey Abrams, next week is Sojourner Truth, and then the following week will be Monica Roberts, who's a black trans woman advocate here in Houston for equal rights. So who is Stacey Abrams for those that have been living under a rock? That's what she looks like. <laughs> the name Stacey Abrams has become synonymous with voting accessibility and turnout, making history, I would say history, by becoming the first woman and first African-American woman to hold positions in state and national politics. Abrams is now one of the most prominent African-American female politicians in the United States. 
She was born December 9, 1973 in Madison, Wisconsin. Her mother, Carolyn, was a college librarian, and her father, Robert, was a shipyard uh, worker. Coming of age amidst boycotts and marches of the civil rights movement, both parents participated. Her mother was kicked off of buses when she, when she tried to sit up front, and her father was beaten and jailed for his participation. Education was of the utmost importance in the Abrams household. Abrams likes to say her parents said, you could miss school if you had a doctor's note and a surgical scar. So we need to bring some of that kind of parenting back. Because, well, let me stop. That's not the sermon. Abrams credits the public school system with saving her and her siblings. Her siblings include a professor of anthropology, a federal judge, an evolutionary biologist, a social worker, and the family remains close, and the siblings have a book, book club that meet regu regularly via a conference call. This, this part just really got me. Hear this part. When Abrams was in high school, the family moved to Atlanta so her parents could attend, so that they could attend a, a theological seminary. Both of the parents became ordained ministers. In 1991, Stacy was chosen as valedictorian of her high school. 1991. So she was invited to the annual valedictorian's receptions, and Abrams and her parents traveled by bus to the governor's mansion at the gate. They were told by the guard on duty that that was a mistake. She wasn't supposed to be there. And while this mistake was eventually corrected, the experience stuck with Abrams. See, sometimes you don't understand why people do what they do until you understand what they've been through. Not an endorsement, but can you imagine occupying the governor's mansion in which you was almost kicked out of in 1991 that you couldn't access because of your race? While she knew she belonged, she recalled about that day, I don't remember meeting the governor of Georgia or my fellow valedictorians. All I remember that day, all I remember that day, she says, was the man telling me I didn't belong. And she would never let anyone let her feel out of place again. She has numerous degrees, and one of them is from the uh, LBJ School of Public Affairs uh, here in Texas. And, uh, you know, she's been part of the Georgia House, and she was known for a reputation of being bipartisan. Her work to include more people in the franchise, there was about 86,000 new voter applications that were received uh, when she started uh, that work. And then after she lost the race for governor in 2018, she created Fair Fight and, and uh, worked to get more people included in democracy. So that's a brief bio, high level. For all of my good Baptist folks, you go like this, Shelly. I have three lessons from her life today. And I might have a poem at the end, I don't know. But I hear, that, or a song, that's, that's what, isn't that what we're doing about three points and a, yeah, okay. Three lessons from her life today that I want to lift up. The first one is, diagnose the problem. If you read Sojourner's Magazine, she had an article a few months back that she wrote, Stacey wrote, Stacey Abrams wrote. And she told the story of her mother fighting for voting rights and working very hard to make that come to pass. They get the voting rights. It's the first election. 
and her mother doesn't want to go to the polls to vote. And Stacy was like, are you afraid or what's wrong? Why won't you come out and get in the car and go? And after she kept asking her mom questions, it finally came out that her mother was afraid to claim her power. That her mother was afraid that she wouldn't know what to do with actually having the power to access the polls and to do something about her life and to participate in democracy. This is very similar to what we are dealing with today. Some folks don't want to go vote because they don't think it matters. Some folks are afraid that it might actually make a difference. Some folks are afraid that they can't claim their power because of who they are or where they're from or how much money they have or what have you. But imagine if all the afraid people actually went to the polls to vote. I've always said I could care. I would not even be upset about the outcome if we had at least 75% of the population voting. But the fact that there's 40-something percent or less in Texas and the, the, the move to even restrict it even more is just mind-boggling to me. Consider our text from Isaiah. Isaiah diagnosed the problem in that context. The oppressor was moving in and ready to seize the land of the Israelites and to destroy everyone in the area. And Isaiah says to the Israelites, no, if you remember, take in the fugitive, take in the Moabites, take them in so that they can be with you, so that they can be sheltered. Yes, Israelites, take in your enemy and give shelter to them. Take in the Moabites and take care for them because if you don't, this divide and conquer, diagnose the problem, this divide and conquer strategy is going to work. Don't leave them alone, but take them in. For you, are you able to truly diagnose problems in your life? Are you diagnosing the problems in your life or running away from them? Are you, are you hopping from church to church and creating the same narrative but still blaming everybody else for your church hopping? Are you moving from job to job and not noticing that you are actually moving from job to job and the same situations still keep following you. Different cast, same movie. Are you waking up in the mornings and going through life, getting all tore up and angry about this and that and mad at this person and mad at that person when it's still you? You're the common denominator in all of this. If you can't keep friends beyond six months, you've been in all of those friendships. 
So are you able to fully diagnose the problem? People have asked me, why do you talk about mental health so much? So that you can go and diagnose the problem. Knowing why we behave the way we behave, how we respond to what we respond to, we need to know why we do that. Marcus came in yesterday, and we just, this, I'm telling you, I owe some of y'all some texts and some phone calls. and that, we're, You know, once a quarter, you hear this from me here. I'm like, it's too busy, I'm too busy, I'm too busy. But this is one of, we're in, those, we're in a 14-day stretch where it's just nonstop for me. And I, I woke up from a nap yesterday before we had to go out to another meeting, and then they were going to a birthday party. It was just a lot yesterday. And he said, what's going on? I said, I'm sitting, I was sitting on the edge of my, my new sofa in my game room, <laughs> which rarely I don't get to use as much as other people do. It's supposed to be my room, but you know. <laughs> so I was sitting there, and I literally was just rocking. And he was like, what's wrong with you? You crazy? I said, you know I don't have all my marbles. I don't know why you're just, just now figuring that out. And I was just rocking. He said, what are you doing? I said, I am trying to make sure that I understand that what is coming out of me now, all the anxiety, all the depression, all the me about to have a breakdown is because I, for some reason, wasn't paying attention when I scheduled all of these things in a two-week period, and that all these other things hopped on my calendar at the same time. It's nobody else's fault. And I'm literally talking to myself, but this is what I do. I don't, does anybody else do this? And I say to myself, you know what? It's nobody else's fault. This is my fault. Somehow this happened. What process can I put in? How can I fix it? You know, and, and then he was like, you better choose. You got to, because we do this to each other. Choose to feel better. Choose to feel better. So I was sitting there and I had him yelling at me and me, and I'm just like, okay, yes, yes, yes. This, we can, the problem is not everybody else. I'm not even the problem. The problem is there's so much work that God is calling us to do. Me as a pastor and us as a community and in the United Church of Christ, because this is part of it as well too, some duties I have to the conference. And all of this good work is just coming to fruition right now. But just stop, because TQ's wedding is on that schedule too, but just stop and celebrate the wedding. Just show up for everything I have to show up for. And if for some reason I show up unprepared, so be it. So be it. Diagnose the problem. Lesson two, do the right thing. I, it is statistically and numerically impossible for Stacey Abrams to have registered 55, sorry, 86,000 people and for all of them to have voted the way she wanted them to vote. Just do the right thing. You want everybody to vote, then it doesn't matter if they're a Republican, it doesn't matter if they're a Democrat, it does not matter who they are, if they're black, if they're white, if they're straight, if they're gay, if they're trans, it doesn't matter who they are. If you have the right to vote, everybody else deserves the right to vote. And whatever the outcome will be, like I said, the higher the votes, the more I am, I'm willing to accept the truth of it. Isaiah says, give counsel, grant justice, make 
Your shade like night at the height of noon. Hide the outcast. Do not betray the fugitive. Let the outcast of Moab settle among you. Be a refuge to them from the destroyer. Isaiah's calling on the Israelites to just do the right thing. These people, the Moabites, are in the same situation as you. So it doesn't matter that they're from another country. It doesn't matter that they're from another land. It doesn't matter that they're a different skin color. If they are being oppressed and you have the same oppressor, then just do the right thing and take them in. Furthermore, I don't want to read you because King David is the son of a Moabite, but that's some drama for another day. Ruth, wasn't she a Moabite? I don't know. Where are all the Bible drill people at? Wasn't Ruth a Moabite? you. Do the right thing. I would say period, but it's more like an ellipsis. (laughs) Do the right thing. Do the right thing by your enemies. goes back to point one. Did you diagnose the problem? Did you create your own enemy? And if you didn't create your own enemy and you can diagnose what the problem is, then you need to figure out how can you show up for people that are showing up for you, that are supporting you. And if it truly is an enemy and you don't need to be together, Doing the right thing, see, I, I, y'all know I don't preach, go after the one. You know, the, the Bible, it says when one sheep strays and then you go run after the other one and 99. Y'all know I have, I have, a, I have that interpretation and another. You, if sometimes doing the right thing means you go the other way. For me, doing the right thing means, that, oh, block this number. <laughs> this you about to make me lose my church. You about to make me lose my religion on you in this phone call. Let me, the best thing I can do, because I've diagnosed the problem, is to separate. Because once I've diagnosed the problem and I realize you ain't going to change, and I'm surely not going to change, not when I know I'm right. Y'all see, y'all see how this goes? I, I'm telling somebody's story today. I don't know whose story I'm telling, but I'm not going to change because I know I'm right. You're not going to change. Why do we, why continue to irritate each other? Bless them with the love of God and send them on their way. Do the right thing by yourself. Some of you right now today have too many emotional vampires and spiritual leeches. Do the right thing by yourself. How much are you going to allow them to take? If they have not accepted you by now, How long, in the words of my mother, I, I can't really say, how long are you going to kiss that, you know? How long are you going to do it? Do the right thing. Three, provide 
an alternative vision. Stacey Abrams has provided another vision in which we can imagine and engage society where as many people as possible are claiming their power and they're going to the polls. I was reading this Sojourner's article about her and I didn't even, I personally, I didn't, I didn't realize, I didn't know that there are people who were born without birth certificates. And it costs, well, so you can't get a driver's license without a birth certificate. You can't get a voting ID without the driver's license. You can get a gun, but not a, <laughs> not a vote. And every, most people know I'm a gun rights person, so I'm not gonna, we're not gonna go down that road, but I'm just, I'm just saying, you can get a gun without driver's license. So apparently, you have to pay something like $75 to $80 just to get some kind of birth certificate so that you can get the driver's license, so that you can get... And so I know people have been saying, well, everybody can just get a driver's license. It's $10, just go. That actually is not the case. There are some black folks just outside, color, people of color, period, outside of that time and period in which people would go to the hospital and be born. They were just born at home, so they have no driver's license, no birth certificate. So it's not just $10 for the driver's license, it's $100, it's $200 if you get a lawyer. I mean, there's, there's a whole lot of expense that's attached to it. And, I, and she said, you know, some churches, Cindy's going to kill me for this, some churches actually put a fund together to help pay for people who can't afford or gain access to that. This idea of an engaged society goes far beyond just able-bodied people of a certain socioeconomic class. I now wonder who else is in the gap that we have not even thought about. I now wonder who else are we not considering that is getting lost in the mix. Because I don't think it's just black people or undocumented people. I think there's a whole lot of folks that are being missed. Isaiah says, when the oppressor is no more and destruction has ceased and marauders have vanished from the land. This is, this is Isaiah's vision. Then a throne shall be established in steadfast love in the tent of David, and on it shall sit in faithfulness a ruler who seeks justice and is swift to do what is right. Isaiah speaks to the Israelites saying, I know you might have your wig a little twisted because I'm telling you to take in the Moabites, but if you can just follow this advice, the oppressor shall be removed from the land. If you all can just get together and do the work of justice and do the work of peace and do the work of love, if you will just get together, a new throne shall be erected and the oppressor shall be removed. 
removed if there will be a ruler who seeks justice and is swift to do what is right. He said, establish a throne of steadfast love if you will seek to join together to do what is, to diagnose the problem, to do what is right, then, then this vision that I give you shall come to pass. Have you provided an alternative vision for your life? As you diagnose the problem, as you seek to do what is right in your life, have you gained an alternative vision? You know, we had the couple's tea last week, last Sunday. It was amazing. We had a lot of fun. This place was gaudy, but nice. Fine china and all that stuff. And I was sitting there hearing all the stories, and we were talking about our relationships. And then I said, iron sharpens iron. If you are not where you want to be in life, find you a Jenny Brown Daniel. Did you hear what I said at the top? You don't know how much you've inspired me, and I saw the business in your work. Find you somebody that can give you an alternative vision for your life. You don't have to stay in the muckety-muck. You don't have to stay dealing with family, family systems that are dysfunctional and corrupt. You don't even have to stay in relationships that are not producing your highest good and highest value. Find some folks that can help you gain an alternative vision for your life. If you want a successful relationship, find some people that are in a successful relationship. If you want a better job, start looking for a better job and reach out to people that know about getting a better job. If you want to figure out how to navigate your family system, call me. I have some suggestions. You may not be willing to hear what I have to say, but I have some suggestions. Find some people that can help you create an alternative vision. In my friend group and in my home and in my family, folks know I'm not, Marcus will tell you, I am a driver. I will drive it to the very end. We don't have excuses in my, if you need more money, then I, you need to get another job. We don't even, what do we need to even, I'm not talking about Marcus, he's, he's where he needs to be now. It's, <laughs> without him doing what he does, I wouldn't be able to do what I do. So we are grateful, we are extremely grateful. We're very fortunate. But I don't, there's no, Daphne, I probably have a different approach from you. You work with them a little bit and take time. That's why I have to send them to you because I just be like, I don't understand the problem. You broke? You want another job? Well, apply for one. <laughs> what are we talking? What do we need a pastoral counseling session for? 
How long have you been making that money? Well, five years. And, then, and how long have you been, how long have you been complaining about it? Five years? I don't understand why we need a session. What a, this is the third time. Don't get mad when I say you need a therapist because I've been told you this is what you need to find people that can encourage you and strengthen you and challenge you. If you get diagnosed as the problem, take that and make it work for you in your life. Failing and being held accountable and being called out is for your good. Ephesians 3, he says, In the former generations, this mystery was not made known to humankind, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. That is, the Gentiles have become fellow heirs, members of the same body, and sharers in the promise of Christ through the gospel. The apostle Paul is writing to the people, the followers of Christ in Ephesus. He has diagnosed the problem and says, you all do not need to be Jews and Gentiles anymore. If you are following Jesus Christ, then you need to be one community following in the way. All of the other things that you wanted to say kept you divided needs to be discarded. All of the other systems and constructs that have been put in place to keep you divided need to be discarded. You are not black. You are not white. You are not gay. You are not straight. You are not trans. You are not Asian. You are not Mexican. You are not Brazilian. You are not Portuguese. You are the body of Christ. United as one. We have no time for divisions. We have no time for fighting about identity. In here, you are created as equal. You're worthy. You matter. You are accepted. There is no need to be divided. And so he says, do the right thing. Accept everybody who is believing and following in this Jesus Christ. Can you imagine what the world would be like if all of us were able to have stayed in our home churches and were loved and appreciated and welcomed? Think of how many of you would now have numerous children in your same-sex relationship. Think of how many of you would be serving and working in those communities. Think of how many of you wouldn't have many of the church hurt and mental health challenges that you have today. Imagine had some other folks just have done what was right. And so now we are tasked with healing from those who wouldn't do what was right. And now we're tasked with diagnosing that part of the reason many of us can't do what is right is because wrong was done to us. But Paul has laid out a different vision. And I put this vision before you here today. Stacey Abrams have, has given us the theme of diagnosing the problem, doing the right thing, and providing an alternative vision. 
The vision I place before you today is the vision I've placed before you time and time again. Here at St. Peter United, you matter. You have a purpose. You are accepted. You are safe in this place. And so because of that, Know your value, know your voice, know who you are. We have to be about the work of healing ourselves so that we can heal this land. Don't be waiting. She didn't wait. Don't be waiting on anybody else to do it for you. Don't be waiting on any other individual savior. Jesus has come and gone. Now you are here in this place and this time. Work out, as someone used to say, your own self-salvation. Work out your healing. Work out being valued. Work out your acceptance because the world is waiting on you. I have no doubt in my mind, people like Stacy and Jenny would probably be doing a whole lot of other things. William, even our deacon that's involved in politics, probably be willing to do a whole lot of other things. I know, I'm, I, I, know I would rather be in Puerto Vallarta <laughs> on a beach with some agua chile Nice, strong margarita. People watching. <laughs> I tried to say that in a holy way. People watching. <laughs> Amen. Bless the Lord. I'll be there in April. <laughs> our moment and our time is now. Next week, we will have our congregational meeting. And I want to be very clear that everything you see and everything that we do is because you have invested in doing it as community. Some churches don't have this discussion. We're here still because you are here. We're here still because you write checks that clear the bank. We're, we are here still because you have invested in this community. There is more work for us to do. And what is my favorite ending for the sermons? We are St. Peter United, rising. Amen. 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 Let us now join our hearts together. Every head bowed, eyes closed. This is a very sacred and special moment. Let us join our minds, our hearts together. Every head bowed, eyes closed. We reached a sacred point in this service where we've probably been able to diagnose some problems.
and we're thinking about doing the right thing for ourselves, for our community. And maybe we've grabbed hold of an alternative vision. So if you are here today, I don't want to embarrass you. I'm not going to ask you to come to the front. If you are here today and you're saying to yourself, I want to give church a try again. I want to give Jesus a try again. I want to give community a try again. If you are here today and you think this is a community for you to connect with, I just want you to slip your hand up really briefly. Just slip it up. And I want to meet you at the end of the service to give you a gift and to let you know how you can connect with us. If you are here today and you want to consider becoming a member of this church, or if you'd like a list of other churches where you might fit, thank you, I see your hand. Please slip your hand up and I want to meet with you. I want to get you a gift. I want to get you some information. Are there others? Thank you for those that have put your hand up. Are there others? Are there others? Amen. Thank you. Thank you, God, for those who have lifted their hand and are ready to connect and make a commitment today. Now together we turn our hearts and minds inward to the light of Christ that is in each of us. Today we have heard three great lessons from the life of Stacey Abrams. We want those lessons to take root in us, not so that we can be like her, but so that we can grow up more. There is a spirit in each of us. Some call it the Christ spark, some call it the light, some call it a piece of God, but we are not just human, but also divine, marvelous creations, having a human experience. So we let this light shine forth. We were taught at a young age, this little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. We commit to letting this light shine through us. As we journey through this season of black history, let us not be ashamed or shy away from lifting our voice. For it is through our voice that others will find their way back home to us, to Christ, to community with each other where we all belong. In the name and nature of our Redeemer, amen.